Dr. Bauer from the Twitter Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his fortnightly appearance in the program. It's his fortnightly appearance. He's a lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest on this edition of the program. And as he does every week, or every two weeks, as he does every two weeks, what Eric Longenhagen does here is to analyze all prospects of particular note this week. Of particular note in this case, two weeks ago, uh, nearly two weeks ago, Peter Gammons reported that the Houston Astros had dismissed eight scouts from their organization. The move seemed notable because a certain amount of the data for which scouts are responsible, pitch type, for example, pitch speed, home to first times, pop times, etc., is also the sort of data which is able to be recorded by systems like StatCast, TrackMan, and other sort of radar systems like those, not only in major league parks, but also uh, frequently in minor league parks and even some amateur parks. Astros GM Jeff Lunau suggested that, in fact, the moves were simply a prelude to an effort by the organization to restructure their scouting department, and then when things were over, there would be just as many scouts essentially employed as there had been before. When I had managing editor Dave Cameron on the program last week, he sounded an optimistic note, suggesting that scouts, who are quite experienced and yet are frequently tasked with data entry sort of obligations, would perhaps be given the opportunity to use their expertise in a more robust way. The technology would not make them redundant, uh, but it would instead liberate them in a way. That is one possible outcome. My guest at the program today, Eric Longenhagen, is concerned about another possible outcome. Here, he imagines the darkest possible future for scouts. Of course, in addition to performing his own player evaluation, Longenhagen depends on information from and developing relationships with scouts around the game. He relays in what follows a general sense of hand-wringing, teeth gnashing, and perhaps even garment Rending, maybe some garment rending within that scouting community regarding the moves made by the Houston Astros recently. Much of the conversation to follow is dedicated to an examination of those moves and the possible, as I say, possibly dark future for pro and amateur scouts. Now allow me to uh, get us to that conversation as quickly as possible. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does the feature lead prospect analyst of Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen? And when does it begin? Right now. That's he's overweight, and so he's a yeah. hard time cleaning himself. Oh boy! So he right. smells. Don't we all. And there are times when he's a little, he's more heinously disgusting than others, and it's just mm-hmm. been. Now, do you hear, have to assist him? him if you're listening right now? He's very happy to be on my lap. Do you have to assist him in his? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Ablutions. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. That's intimate. That's an intimate moment when you do that. You know? Mm-hmm. You begin to help an animal like that? That's I guess so. It's just one of those things that you that you do if you're not yeah. uh, you know, squeamish or a jerk. I don't know. Yep. The cat is it's just that he's a fat cat, so he can't he can't reach everywhere. So he yeah. kinda smells. Hey, can I ask you? Uh, can I ask you a question? Can I? Can I attempt to? That tends to be what we do on these, Carson. Yeah, I want to. I want to extract actual information from you. I took uh, no little interest in your uh, daily prospects, daily prospect notes today, 
because you uh, included an entry about second overall pick Hunter Green. Young Hunter Green, who I guess is uh, – now, you had noted that he pitched. He made his pro pitching debut. Yes. And how I interpreted that, how I interpreted it originally was pro debut overall. However, uh, what I have gathered uh, is that, in fact, he's, he's already taken a number of plate appearances at the uh, rookie-level Pioneer League. Yeah, he's DH'd at times. He had a four-hit game a couple weeks ago. Uh, we've seen this before from teams mm-hmm. with two-way guys. Casey Kelly is the first one that comes to mind for me when I think about uh, – His name, <clears throat> for someone who, to the best of my knowledge, is not active in baseball, his name has been invoked a number of times over the course of the spring and summer. I mean, uh, probably because of uh, Hunter Green and, and, and Brendan McKay as well. Yeah. With Kelly, I know – I'm not sure specifically why – what the logic behind doing it with Green is other than to keep him active and perhaps interested. Uh, if you're not playing baseball and are just existing in Billings, Montana, I'm not sure what that that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be part of it. But with Kelly, it was about uh, – Kelly wanted to play shortstop and pro ball. And the Red Sox wanted him to pitch. Most people thought more highly of him as a prospect on the mound. And so Kelly's initial foray into pro ball was as a shortstop, more or less so Boston could show him, hey, like you can't do this. <laughs> uh, so I love that. Now, I've become uh, – of course, uh, I've been thinking about this more, but um, I, I like that as a parenting technique as well. To mm-hmm. reveal, to allow the child, and the, I mean, you're talking about a professional ball player, but a young one, um, uh, but also allowing a child to reveal his or her own weaknesses to him or herself. Yeah, these are my limits. Allow me to <laughs> allow me to <laughs> to to observe them up close. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, oh, I was just going to say Kelly is still pitching. By the way, the Cubs released him in July, mm-hmm. and. The Giants added him. He's a Triple A. Okay, but I don't. I don't think he's an immediate threat to do any sort of to play any sort of long term big league role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Hunter Green, though, uh, mm-hmm. exciting prospect, drafted second overall, and as you as you mentioned, now wait a second. Here's a question. Because uh, um, now sometimes when you write about players uh, who have been recently been selected, for example, or are making a stateside debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume it's because you have observed them in the Arizona League, up close, uh, in person. But uh, here we have someone who's in the, as I say, the rookie level Pioneer League in Billings. Um, where do? How do you get a report like that? Do you care to reveal your sources? I mean, no, I don't care to reveal oh. my source. But there was one. Okay. Uh, and I was. I asked very nicely in this situation because I knew there would probably be few uh, observant personnel there. Mm-hmm. And when that's the case and there's like – it's an obscure game and there might be a scout or two or three, uh, that's when my sources are most at risk of revealing themselves oh, yeah, to the course. organization they work for. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew someone who was there. Uh 
and asked very nicely for what I thought was an important piece of information. The logistics of of pro scouting, I guess I'd never consider this for a moment, and perhaps it's there's nothing to mine here in terms of in terms of interest. But there's this one note, however. The now I assume that uh, it's much easier for teams to find someone. find a pro scout for the Arizona League as um, than it is because there's so much going on there in terms of baseball. Whereas, for example, as someone who has lived uh, in the uh, in mountain time and in, in, indeed in Montana itself, um, I can tell you those places are far apart. And uh, there's not a lot of other baseball w- uh, upon which one will happen accidentally. So yeah. I don't know. Is, there, is it undercovered maybe? Is, it, is there a le- lack of coverage? I think the Pioneer League – I know some scouts that do have Pioneer League coverage. And this – we can talk about this. This is the subject of my Hardball Weird. Times annual piece, Ooh. which is how do teams cover the pro side of things. Um, and now specifically, it will be centered around the decisions that the Houston Astros have made recently, which seems to indicate that at some point they won't. Um, but yes – the the Pioneer League coverage, the guys I know who, who have that league are based more in the Utah area where they can get to a bunch of affiliates and then uh, the affiliates like Billings will come to them. Okay. I'm not sure the logistics of of getting to what, – what it's like to like get to Billings, Montana from somewhere else. Uh, but I think that travel cost is something that's – put into consideration by teams, and they all structure their coverage a little bit differently. Sometimes they do so in a, in a way that is dynamic and will change year to year based on where that club is in the competitive cycle. Uh, the, the Mets don't really cover anything beneath full season ball at all, uh, but I've seen four, five uh, Tampa Bay Rays scouts at AZL games, like four or five different guys. Mm. Uh, some some teams send amateur scouts to cover the low levels of pro ball after the draft when, once those leagues have started up um, and then have them come off of that to do showcase work. Some teams have scouts cover entire organizations top to bottom. And if you have the Rockies – you go to Hartford, Connecticut to see the Rockies AA affiliate. You go to Albuquerque to see their AAA affiliate. You go to Asheville to see their uh, their single A affiliate. And then you come to Scottsdale to see their extended spring training kids before uh, they go to Grand Junction, Utah. Hey, that actually uh, sounds like – now, with the exception of Connecticut, that actually sounds like it would be a, um, a good uh, – that would not be a bad arrangement of teams. Asheville is supposed to be a very nice place. Albuquerque, um, if, and if not Albuquerque, then Santa Fe have their have their merits. I'm sure it's great, but if you have a couple kids, it's different yes. to do that than it is to say cover the Phillies affiliates in Allentown, Reading, and Lakewood and Williamsport, and like be home every night. That would also be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. Like, point. oh, I can cover the Phillies and drive two hours, and then be home. And go home. Like that's nice too. Yeah. So it's just like it depends on the scout. It depends on the team. Yeah. And it's interesting. Their te- teams just have different philosophical reasons for doing different things. 
I think it's interesting to have different eyes look at the same player. Um, but then if a player changes something and you have a history with that player, it's probably easier to identify that change. Uh, so I think there are pros and cons to, to org coverage uh, as opposed to regional coverage. And I, you know, I'm hoping that as I work on this Hardball Times piece that we get to the bottom of what is the best way, what, like, what, is there an optimal way to do this? For both, are you talking about for both parties? Not, not, um, but I mean, both for the organizations and the scouts themselves? Uh, yeah, that, I hadn't, I guess I really hadn't thought about that. I mean, what do you, what do you think is an optimal outcome? If one where, one in which as many scouts as possible are employed. One in which well, I mean, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, one in which teams um, have the access to the most information or most useful information. Is that the idea? What do you think is the I think if there were, outcome? I think that you and I will both agree that at some point, hiring more and more scouts is going to the returns that you get will mm-hmm. start to diminish. Yeah, sure. That seems right. So there's probably a sweet spot where you're getting a robust amount of information, employing a high number of people, giving them something closer to a healthy work-life balance than is typical across baseball and corporate America in general. That would be nice. Um, so I don't know. It's just sort of something that's it's in it's incubating in my in my brain. But it was it's just changed the way I'm thinking about it has changed significantly since uh the Astros news came well, out. Well, let's address uh, now listen, uh, I hadn't necessarily planned on doing this. Why did I write down Victor Roach? I wrote down Victor Roach for some reason. Wasn't he released? Well, I know that he's um he was with the Dodgers organization most recently, and I think yeah, somehow he was in the Bre- he was in the Brewers organization. He was from a small school. Yeah. Mm, I'll put that on the back. I came across his name today. Perhaps he, perhaps it's because he was released. Mm. Who knows why I wrote down Victor Roach? Anyway, uh, the eight scouts. <clears throat> now I spoke about this with Cameron, and um, I can relate. I can relate. Now, of course, the story, the news. I believe it was tweeted by Peter Gammons. Uh, our own Travis Sochik uh, examined the situation. The idea was that the uh, – here, here's the information. As I know it, the Astros um, fired eight scouts. Uh, Houston GM Jeff Lunau said, however, that there was n- – that it was just a um, – it was the product of restructuring and that uh, when all was said and done – uh, the team would have just as many scouts as they had had previously. However, they were attempting to restructure. Um, and, yeah, it, I mean, to your point, maybe, um, you know, um, run things more efficiently or at least more effectively. It, here's what I invite you to do. Please um, augment my version of it with any other information that you have. And um, I suppose uh, express your – it sounds like you have concerns. Like maybe you have some concerns. <laughs> yeah, uh, the people the people I've talked to, you know, like you just I talk to people in baseball during the course of the week. That's how I get a lot of my information. 
and regardless of whether or not I was, I've been calling people to talk specifically about this, like it has dominated my conversations with people uh, at the field and on the phone. And most of those people I talk to are scouts. And so they're really concerned. Uh, and a world where scouting is considered obsolete, whether or not it actually is, uh, I think we can discuss. Um, but a world where it's considered obsolete by people who pull the strings in front offices uh, is a scary one for me too. I'm already operating with far less information about the players I cover than these teams have. Makeup stuff, sure, that's part of it. Oh, I thought, but... I thought you were suggesting that you that you do makeup stuff, as in you invent information. Yeah. This is <laughs> well. I we are members of the dishonest media, Carson. True. <clears throat> but um, but yeah. So like, people are concerned. What I've heard about the situation is uh, that there's going to be a hybridization of sorts of among the people who. I know there was a lot of gnashing of teeth on Twitter about the idea that Houston would is looking to do their pro scouting exclusively from some combination of video, uh, trackman data, and information like along those lines, rather than sending a whole lot of scouts out based on who they let go, which was like a mix of pro and amateur scouts. That doesn't seem to be the immediate plan. Because that data doesn't exist throughout all of amateur baseball. Right. So, and now you have mentioned uh, previously that um, that there is some something like Statcast or TrackMan available uh, in certain at certain schools. You, but it seems it right. seems to be mostly larger programs, certain high school events. Right. Yeah. And then yes, and that's right. Showcase uh, like uh, certain of the bigger like prep showcases. Right. So it's and it's not always reliable, um, <laughs> which uh, you know I think that it's been shown that day to day this the data isn't it's, it sometimes needs a lot of work. Uh, but where was it? Oh yeah. So um, it doesn't seem that that's likely to occur immediately. But what it does sound like is happening is uh, the scouts that were retained will have a dual role in which they cover the amateur side before the draft and then pick up pro coverage after the draft, which isn't all that different uh, than what a lot of teams already do, but it just sounds like this version of it is a little bit more intense. Um, And people are being thrown into roles that they're behind on. Uh, Some of Houston scouts that are going to be asked to cover the draft – have no history with the players available in next year's draft, nor the nuances of amateur scouting, period. And, like, what it means to go into a 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid's living room and, like, talk to his parents. And, like, at some point, if you're an amateur scout, you have to do that for the first time. And I think the guys who are going to be asked to do it will be fine. But, like, I know more about the Four Corners prospects in next year's draft than like the Astros new whoever the new Astros new four corner scout is going to be right and this is not because you're you're a brilliant mind no it's just because I've seen these these players and whoever is going to be tasked with that job hasn't yet and 
all all these changes were made after like the high school showcases were basically done. So like there are just there are issues with with what Houston is doing objectively across baseball. Everyone acknowledges that whether or not they are proponents of scouting or not, that there's some risk initially here in what they're doing from an information standpoint. Um, so, but yeah, like there are people in baseball who think that this moment will be the moment that we talk about years from now. That was the, the beginning of the end of eyeball scouting. So here's the thing. Uh, and then there are people in, in brilliant organizations, Carson, who think this is a terrible idea that's not going to work and that it's going to cost people their jobs. <laughs> so well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I do think it's telling. You saw that Houston had some promotions. They announced the firings two Fridays ago, and then last Friday they announced several promotions. Yeah. Including promote the promoting their uh, pro scouting director to assistant general manager. Did you notice that they didn't name another pro scouting director? I didn't, yet? Noti- I didn't notice that sort of thing. Okay. Well, you if they don't name one, is that perhaps a sign to you that there that there's there won't be a pro scouting department to direct? I defer to you on these matters. Let me ask you about some simple about some math questions. Um, how many? How many scouts uh, does a team typically employ? I'm sure I've asked you before, but uh, for uh, but I do, I do not recall the figure. It varies widely. Um, on the pro side, it's it's you know around I want to say mm-hmm. like ten to twelve, depending on the org. Certain teams have a, a whole slew of special assistants or special assignment scouts that uh, whose role is basically pro scouting but uh, as far as guys who are just dedicated to pro scouts it's like some somewhere between 6 to 12 closer to 10 on average mm-hmm. i'd say and then amateurs and then amateur scouts uh the amateur side of things with like the cross checkers and all that lumped in is uh 16 or so okay so 16 to 20 depending on yeah how often guys who have like director or cross-checking titles. Yeah, and you do uh, find it. Yeah, I'm, I have even observed that, uh, right, if you look at uh, like the masthead, essentially, of a major league organization, there are certain members of an organization, and they tend uh, they tend to be guys who maybe have a little bit more, like maybe they have more major league pedigree. They They receive kind of vague titles sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, vague or ambiguous titles. So perhaps, um, right, they're called in, um, you know, they might fit under one umbrella or the other, pro or amateur. But, um, and then you have advanced scouts who might be called advanced scouts in name but also do some minor league coverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, let's see, r- roughly 10 and then roughly 60. So you could have anywhere it seems like from like, 25, 30 would be... 25, 30 people who are probably called scouts and then another 10, 15 people in the organization who are also out seeing players. Okay. And so to to dismiss eight would be... Maybe a quarter or, uh, you know, a fifth or sixth of the entire staff to get a sense of that. Okay. Now... Uh, here's the other thing. You, you mentioned, and I, th- this seems like an important question, a distinction that uh, 
I had neglected to make previous to this, but of course it does matter what the roles of those particular scouts were. Um, uh, you, you said it was not simply pro scouts, which in the in the context uh, uh, one one might expect it to be exclusively pro because right as you're pointing out at some level the the influence of technology on the game the you know the installation of radar tracking systems in various stadia which does r- record a lot of the same data that, that's for which scouts are responsible like pitch uh, pitch type and speed um you know, third uh, home to first times, pop times. Uh, you know, in many cases, that sort of data is is able to be recorded uh, without the aid of uh, of a human. Um, mm-hmm. That's that. That's the the point at which you're looking. But you're saying that the the dismissals aren't necessarily entirely consistent with um, merely the uh, sort of like technology related um, r- redundancy, essentially. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So there must be some other explanation, or a uh, a complementary explanation. I assume. Um, but people, here's the. I mean, at the very root of the thing, right? Is um, w- one becomes anxious when he or she believes uh, his or her job is at risk. That's a that's ner- that will make one nervous, right? Because. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what is it in the book of Matthew? Maybe uh, we're invited to, or maybe uh, Jesus in Nazareth says, "Look at what does he say? Look at the fowl of the he air." His coffee's for closers, and he makes everyone feel really bad about not selling anything. <laughs> I think that's in the uh, <laughs> that's in one of the uh, apocryphal gospels, one of the non-standard gospels. No, I think he says, uh, "Look at the fowl." What does he say? Look at the fowl of the air; they neither toil nor spin. Doesn't he say that? And uh, look at the uh, look at the lilies of the valley. Maybe they never toil or spin. There's someone who's not toiling. He's not, who's neither toiling nor spinning. And uh, there's other people who another who who gather. They don't gather in barns. They don't. They're not worried about. Uh, essentially, the idea is uh, not to fear the future. Do not worry about having sufficient resources because you will be provided for. Um, that's 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 the part of the elegant system. It's essentially it's not the invisible hand of of uh, the free market, um, it's uh, it's not it's not the gospel of Milton Friedman. It's the um, it's the invisible hand of uh, it's a sort of order of nature, capital in nature. But uh, it is hard to embrace that sort of thought um, when it's one's actual job that's being uh, com- you know potentially squeezed out. Yeah, I'm not saying that Houston doesn't have reasons for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just people who. Short of a clear explanation thus far who disagree with it and then there are some people who are just simply fearful because they know that stuff Houston has done in the past has gained traction with other organizations. Uh, because it's effective, that... I assume? <sighs> I mean it is uh, – it is. I suppose so. I mean at least the, it's perceived to be effective. Well, this is it, it is an organization uh, whose major league team, what, three – Years ago, four years ago, um, or maybe even five or six, was one of the worst. Uh, was basically the worst in the majors, mm-hmm. and now, uh, as of today at least, only one team in the majors has more wins than these Houston Astros, and it's a team that is spending a lot more money than them. 
the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's the team I mean. So, uh, and, and, and it does not appear to be a fluke, that sort of thing, because uh, if we take advantage, for example, of uh, base run standings, which uh, strip out some of the uh, the influence of of, um, of randomness, etc. Uh, we find that the Astros, by that measure, also have the second best record, and actually finish even closer to the Dodgers by that. So, it is a it is a franchise that has produced a successful major league team that that essentially for which a groundwork was laid. The blueprint was was drawn out, and it's been followed exactly, and it's and it's merited great success. So yeah, you'd have to think that um, that if they have employed some practices, right? And Luno came from St. Louis, and they had sustained success. Yeah, with at, at St. Louis before he left. It's like there's a track record here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this is you know this is a different thing. No, I would like to relate to you, Dave Cameron's comments now. Dave, uh, Dave I'm, uh, probably talks with a different population, a different cross-section of the industry than you do on av- uh, in general when you when you suppose that's true. Yes. Yeah. Now, in his to his mind, scouts are not in any particular danger. He thinks that there will be just as many people employed, you know, say 5 years from now than uh, than there are right now. There will be just as many employed in pe- people employed in baseball. And that um, and this may be an optimistic viewpoint, although I don't know if you've ever met Dave Cameron. Um, I don't think he's anyone who peddles needless optimism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he says that uh, this could be an advantage because in in, in certain cases, and I'm, I'm interested in your opinion on this, in certain cases, those people who are called scouts, uh, whatever their qualifications, whatever their expertise and the experience uh, that has allowed them to obtain that expertise, their function is actually one of a sort of uh, glorified data collection. How, I mean, did you, and, and he says, you know, what do they do? They record pitch type, pitch velocity, pop times, run times. Uh, you know, that's uh, while they, you know, they, in, at certain level, maybe this is beneath them. Despite the fact that there's a higher, there might be a high barrier of entry for employment, but the employment itself may not necessarily take advantage of all of their experience and expertise. Have you ever? Fe- I mean, have you ever felt that way? I think, I think to a degree that that statement's correct. I think it depends on how broad your definition of data is. Mm-hmm. I think it's. Perhaps a little bit myopic of a of a viewpoint to hold. I think there's some some misunderstanding about the role of scouts and the types of information that is exchanged verbally mm-hmm. uh, at like a at a minor league game during the course of the evening. Okay, and so I think you're and it's I think you're going in, in an interesting direction. And I will say that what Dave came and how how he ended his his comment was. That this that this could possibly allow them to stop recording this sort of information and actually watch with their essentially with their full selves. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so 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 say what you think is yeah right. So talk about data collection and then also the sort of information that's exchanged maybe beyond that. Uh, 
more and more, I think scouting is becoming about interpersonal relationships and about the information that you can acquire through those. Or at least that's how – that's a part of my job that I'm improving at and learning constantly is more and more valuable. And I'm doing that because I'm watching people in baseball uh, use that skill. So, I mean, it's all sorts of stuff. It's – there's a kid in the Northwest League who throws 100 miles an hour who got sent back down to the AZL. And then back up to the Northwest League, and no one could figure out why. And people were suspicious about it. And I was talking to people at the Area Code games about this particular pitcher, but no one knew why he got sent back, sent down to the AZL and then kicked back up. And it's like because he missed his girlfriend. <laughs> so, like, without, but I found that out through someone who knew someone with the organization. And so what might look – what might be difficult to interpret for someone who doesn't know that, mm-hmm. to me it's just – it's a teenage kid who who has motivations that an 18-year-old man would have. <laughs> it's actually – it's a bit – it's kind of adorable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so yeah. so like it's it's – scouts can provide depth to context that – Statcast, Trackman, uh, that stuff it doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might know statistically what Michael Hermosillo is doing, but you don't know if you're a Trackman that he's from Illinois and was a multi-sport athlete who was committed to Illinois to play football, and that what he's doing is even more interesting. Once you realize that he hasn't been focusing on baseball for all that long and that he's been hurt a little bit and hasn't gotten as many reps as you'd hope a 22-year-old would have sure. had in pro ball yet. Yeah, and I think – So you're... I think that – I agree with Dave that uh, it's interesting to think about what scouts might be able to do if that were their primary focus instead of holding a radar gun in one hand uh, you know, every 25 seconds. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here, but I thought you No, I didn't have any more. No, I was done. (laughs) (laughs) I thought there was going to be a but. So you're going to use a conjunction there. Uh, I just am happier when people are employed. (laughs) Right. I don't think being efficient for the sake of being efficient is – like I don't think that's necessarily good. Mm, I don't – that doesn't get me – well, get it. no, right. I think so. Yes, I like it when people are employed too. But if you can keep the same number of people employed and use them in and use them in ways that is well, listen. Yes, no one really needs baseball to progress, right? Baseball could just remain the way it is, and it would be fine. It's a useless endeavor, ultimately. Right, for all but the people who benefit from uh, progressing themselves in a way that gives them a competitive advantage. Right, and yeah, and I suppose like if you, I like baseball better when it's when guys like Ray Ordonez are playing. <laughs> like that's just I like that's like the kind of baseball I like to watch, even if it's not statistically uh, like efficient. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, like, you could. If you're, I mean, you don't have to. 
I like baseball when it's being played by players who are just objectively suboptimal. That's just how I like it. And I'm not trying to make it that way. Like, you guys have won. It's fine. Well, 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 well you guys. Who's you guys? <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> anyone? It's anyone who took It's anyone who took issue with what I just said. <laughs> I, I, it's no, fine. I think that there's – I think that there's – there's absolutely an argument to be made that it doesn't matter. That um, I think there's an argument to be made because baseball is useless that there needn't be any sort of progress. You know what I mean? Now, listen, on social issues, right, if you want to talk about getting medical care to as many people as possible, as efficiently as possible, right, mm-hmm. That's that has a that has a real consequence to it, right? If you want to talk about um, making sure that people can eat, that has there's an urgency to that, right? Like for every moment that you're that you are not distributing food, ideally, there are liter- there are people actually dying, right? There's real stakes. Yeah. If it's if if everyone's a, if a, if a majority agree that that they, that baseball ought to be a certain way, right? Then then it could just be that way. It can be however you want. You know, I mean, you if you want to, if you want, like, look at this. This is a this is a very dumb proposal, right? But if you say, <clears throat> all right, we're going to play the game exactly as exactly as we usually do, right? But <clears throat> there will be a uh, a panel of three judges who will. Um, at the end of the game, they will announce the most aesthetically pleasing defensive play of the game, right? Mm-hmm. And if they all agree, then say they say they all say it's as one play by Ray Ordonez, right? Then the Mets, in this case, the Mets, the Mets in what 1995 or whatever, then they get three extra runs and then they win the game. Right, like maybe they lost by two, but they got three extra points, points runs from this panel of judges who decided that Ray Ordonez made the most aesthetically pleasing. Like you could do if everyone agrees, you could do that. You know. Okay. I'm, I, I'm mean, not saying that it's, but no, but I, I think it because baseball is a useless thing that needn't exist, um, and exists really for, solely for, the entertainment of those. Who are invested in it? Uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't you don't need people getting ahead, right? And it should employ it should employ as many people as possible because you have literally more than truckloads of money is how much mo- is how much revenue is coming into the sport. So so it should employ it should employ as many people as possible because it doesn't it doesn't need it doesn't need to do anything and that's like an actual like practical. Uh, like a pra- that would be like a, a practical use for it, right? To keep people eating and uh, drinking, drinking, de- definitely drinking. Uh, and if the sport wanted to be friendlier to humans, it would uh, it would put all the teams closer together and not scattered all over Montana. Yeah, and then it would let high school and college kids pick who they work for, and yeah. not cap the amount of money. Poor Venezuelan kids can make as they try to do the only thing they can to escape their country, which is in shambles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so I uh, so, a lot. Of, sure, so, people could be better. So <laughs> I'm, baseball is run by people. So I'm on. I'm on your side in the sense that yes, I think it should employ as many people as possible. 
But you're not as fire and brimstone scared as I am and the people I'm talking to seem to be. Well, <clears throat> have you noticed I've stopped posting prospect videos on, like, the YouTube page and stuff? Because? I don't want teams using it. Hire a scout. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Uh, that's good. That's interesting. So here's. If you want to know what Esturi Ruiz looks like, I've got video of Esturi Ruiz. It'll go up when I write the Padres list in the off season. Mm-hmm. You want to know what he looks like before that? Send someone here. The <clears throat> I think that no. So I'm I'm a little bit suspicious when you find uh, like a general manager like Jeff Lunau, and I think uh, Travis Sawchuk had spoken with John Daniels, who relayed similar comments, which is. Yes, we're restruct- restructuring. Right, it seems unnecessary. Um, it certainly seems unnecessary to the people who feel comfortable in their roles, right? Um, and it seems like it seems like it's um, meddling. It seems like it's meddling with people's sense of well-being. To what end, right? And, sure, uh, and I'd argue that what you said earlier about the Astros going from. A, you know, a bad franchise to one of the better ones in all of baseball. Why, why then alter what you what you did to get to that? Well, point? and here's what I would respond. This is not something that I necessarily believe, Eric Longenhagen. I want, I want you to be clear on this. Well, I don't necessarily believe that you should just remain stagnant just because you're doing well. But it's just it's a question worth asking. Right? But yeah. Continue. But that, no, and, and you you that's exactly the point. Is is uh, perhaps the quality. That's sort of native to those individuals or entities that are most successful, or that they they, they continue to evolve, right? Mm-hmm. And they uh, they attempt sure. to stay ahead of the curve. <clears throat> and something that something that I think we've talked about on the podcast before. Yeah, but no, I I so I am suspicious of the comments made by Lunau and uh, Jeff Daniels. Like I said, no, not Jeff Daniels. <laughs> Jeff Daniels, <laughs> Jeff Daniels <laughs> would never do anything like this. Uh, John Daniels. It's suspicious when you find um, when when you hear them say something like, "Oh, we can really open up opportunities for scouts to do other things." However, if they're telling the truth, Eric, then mm-hmm. then maybe it is interesting. Maybe one of the things that they want to open up scouts to is is go is is uh, not having to travel as much or and going to bed at, on time. And maybe they're going to send uh, you know all of the scouts' children. To Waldorf schools, free of charge. You know what I mean? <laughs> have a real, have an important, hands-on, early education. Sure. Know? Well, I'll just guess we just have to wait and see. Yeah. But of course, like anything, if there's an unknown associated, if the future is unknown, which it which it is, which it is to everybody, right? But if one's own uh, of being now, do you do you not believe that? Uh, that the uh, lilies of the valley, you 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 know you don't identify with the lilies of the valley. Neither toiling nor spinning, or the uh, fowl of the air. They don't store in barns. You don't uh, identify with that. You're worried about your livelihood and also the livelihood of people whom you know. You're concerned. Yeah. 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 And I think part of it is just it's my nature to be neurotic mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. I think you've had you, enough conversations with me. On and off the air, yeah. To have to, to have anticipated this. Do you ever have visions of yourself ending up in a ditch, like you? Just I have dreams dream. about people trying to kill me a lot. Okay. 
<laughs> what sort of people are they? They're uh, faceless hmm. agents of some sort of higher agency. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do a lot of running and hiding and dying in my dreams. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's great. So it's really like you have like a Blade Runner like sort of imagination. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's just full of uh, dystopias. Yeah. 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 Eric Loganagan's dystopian future. There are no scouts, and uh, everyone is armed. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I, I you just dub that. over Enemy of the State and be like, "Yeah, did you see that the the Reds have cleared out their sta- scouting staff and they have rope?" Yeah. <laughs> is there any? Do Do you think that the? Uh, I don't know. Do Do, do scouts have any sort of? Um, uh, capacity to strike is that a thing that would happen? No, I don't. No, I don't think there's like a there's not a union or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if there's n- not having a union is not different than you know. I mean, I don't, do do you feel like there is mutual? They they are mutually interested. That there is a a sort of um, a feeling of bonhomie between scouts. <sighs> It depends. I've talked to scouts who, for whom the, I believe there is a certain camaraderie, and I think if you were, if you, when you're around them enough, like you can just see it. Uh, you'll hear them talk about seeing each other more than they see their families. I think scouts that cover an area together, especially, mm-hmm. are pretty tight, especially if they've been doing it together for quite a long time. Um, but then there are other ones, you know, who are kind of salty and, and more individualistic. I think in general, there's a commune. Mm -hmm. Um, some of it is more organized than others. There are like smaller scouting associations. There, there are sort of information hubs, people who organize stuff, um, within like, let's say an amateur area. In Florida or here in the Four Corners, like where, the, where they'll share scheduling information and, and stuff like that. Uh, but I don't know how – I don't know if those groups have any sort of like legal stand – you know, as they might just be – they might just have had hats made. You know, I don't, I don't know the specifics <laughs> of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's nice to have a hat. Uh, the <clears throat> well, okay. So th- it's a dark, it's a dark vision of the future. You have um, <laughs> is what yes. one thing we've established. <laughs> you're you're not particularly the the, the mere fact of change uh, is unsettling for you, if not necessarily for yourself, although perhaps on yourself, but certainly on behalf of the people uh, you know in the industry. Yes, and, I say with complete earnestness that people I've talked to are concerned. Right, and yeah. it seems. Moreover, you you feel as though, above all else, that that the presence of scouts in the game is a good. You regard that as a as sort of an objective good. Uh, yeah, I okay. yes, yeah. yeah. There's something unique about the job and about uh, 
what it takes to be good at it mm-hmm. that I just love. Yeah. And I just have an appreciation for uh, – I just think it's an interesting craft and I'd hate to see it just go away. Right. When's the last time you saw a place that did shoe repair? Um, I, I, I your point is taken. I okay. I could I could I could like it's just a bummer. It's just right. like you know an animal becoming extinct. Except it's right. just I think it's this. It's just a special thing that I like a whole lot. Do you actually think that you could find more shoe repairs or more video stores? Oh, I know. I've seen one of each of those in the last <laughs> like five months. There's still a weird. In my hometown, I'm I'm pretty sure there's still a weird like VHS DVD rental place on Front Street in Catasauqua. Oh yeah, I don't know Catasauqua. if it's a front for anything else. I've never been in there, mm-hmm. but um, but then I did see a shoe repair place in Louisville. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> now cobblers, cobblers are very rare because that's not and that's Coopers. beyond because the person who's actually manufacturing shoes. Yeah. Well, at least in America, I'm sure that like in Vietnam, there are still cobblers. They just happen to be. You think there are people old. still cobbling in Vietnam? Technically, yeah. And it depends on how how you. I'm sure that. Oh, I, I see what you're look saying. Look at the tag on your Jordans, everyone. Where are they made? Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's regarded as. If, I don't cobblers. know. If, you don't have the sort of dignity associated with the profession at that point. Oh, this is, I'm putting my face in a shoe right now, and it's not. It's not pleasant. I think that I think that with a profession like that, part of it is a dignity attached to it, right? Yeah, I think so. And I don't think that that point is entirely relevant to the to the one that you're attempting to make about scouts in general, is that there is a kind of dignity attached to the position, that the that the role that the vocation you might call it a vocation has a sense of depth to it. There is a um, there is an art. It is there's a combination of art and science at work. Right? There's mm-hmm. a craft. There's a craft at play. There's a sacrifice, that, uh, I think, that makes – that adds some sort of – Yeah, although I'd be careful about it. that sort of thing. Right, yes. I know. Because it's like, like – I can't help it. Yeah. That's that's dangerous because essentially if you if you say like, oh, like he didn't see – he never saw his son. He never once saw his own son because he was out on the dusty roads – you know, bird dog and high school players. Um, that's like essentially if your concern is uh, the oppression of technocracies, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's like that little the the uh, um, the the, rom- the, ro- the romanticization of that is it fits. I mean, that actually benefits your, your evil overlords. Right. Because you're like you somehow turn this this personal hurt not being able to see now listen some people don't want to see their families and that's i totally understand that i support that 100% i i've only known my son for for a month and i could i could go i could go the next <laughs> month without seeing him i could do like one 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 to one ratio of seeing him not seeing him you know what i mean like he's a merchant marine you know 3 months uh-huh. at sea 3 months 3 months home but <clears throat> i uh uh but right, if you're if you're making a if there's a sort of romantic notion of someone who's making sacrifices, well, that's playing right in the hands of the uh, the capitalists, Eric Lonkenhagen. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and you don't. I don't. You know, I'm no scout wants to live like cats in the cradle or whatever. Like I don't. <laughs> you know, 
So, but yes, it's a complex thing. We're fortunate to be able to have an opinion that people will be forced to listen to if they've clicked on this podcast that might help mm-hmm. shape the world we live in in some way. I don't, I don't know. Oh, well, I wouldn't look to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let that be the, the thing on which you're hanging your hat. No, I don't. That's, yeah, that's also pretty weak. Um, hey. What else did you, what, are we done? No, I want to ask you, um, I want to ask you about an actual player. Okay. Reese Hoskins. How about that yeah, guy? Yeah, how about it? How about that guy? Well, we've 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 invoked Reese Hoskins' name. He is part of a triumvirate or a quadrumvirate. quadrumvirate. Uh, now, of course, uh, there's always some particular relevance of Phillies prospects when uh, you know for your appearances because um, you've been employed by the Phillies before. You've written about their prospects mm. before. Well, you grew up in Pennsylvania. Big. You've grown up yeah. within a, an easy car drive of what three of their affiliates? <clears throat> yeah, I started rubbing the two sticks together, covering the Philly system. And uh, and uh, we've we've talked about four players at different times, and okay. uh, we've talked about Hoskins. We've discussed. Um, Do you have a home phone? No. Okay. <clears throat> we've discussed Hoskins, uh, Cam Perkins. We've made mention yeah. of him, Cameron Perkins, uh, Dylan Cousins, and Scott Kingery. Hmm. Everyone was a Kingery. Kingery ain't no use for it, right? So, uh, and um, a a fact that always has to be attached, an observation that must always be attached to any discussion of a Phillies prospect, especially one who has exhibited an ordinary, um, out of the ordinary power, unusual power at the Double A level. They play in, is that uh, the Phillies Reading Stadium is a um, first energy stadium. First energy stadium. <laughs> Is what does it help right-handers in particular? Am I dreaming that? Uh, I think it. I think it does. Okay. But left-handed hitters have also come out of there performed and exceptionally well there. Okay, and that's always a concern. And uh, that was a concern when we invoked Reese Hoskins like uh, over a year ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he, but then he was hitting home runs at Lehigh Valley, wasn't he? Yeah, which is not. I say it plays slightly. Uh, as a pitcher's park. Yeah. I don't know. There's an objective answer to that. It's somewhere online. Go to Baseball America has all the park factors on the Well, website. so does StatCorner.com. Okay. Uh, um, and uh, <clears throat> let's see. What yeah, those guys did great work on that stuff, so like, go check it out. Yeah. But just from working at that ballpark for like four years, I'd say that, yeah, it's more it leans pitcher. The wall in right field is really high, uh, and it's 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 just a – I want to say, like distance-wise, from pole to pole, it's a it's a little bit above average as far as like distance goes. Yeah. So like last year, uh, Reading Park actually like basically all of the park factors are below 100, like strikeouts, ground ball hits, singles, doubles. But for home runs, 125 for left-handers and 145 for right-handers. Those are the numbers from last year. Um, and uh, uh, Lehigh Valley's uh, stadium does not play anything like that. It's roughly neutral in terms of home runs. Um, so, yeah, so that's always the concern. Now, Hoskins, however, um, has, uh, of course, transcended the influence of uh, Reading Stadium and uh, has, I think, what what did he hit? Is he the first person ever to hit 10 home runs in his first 20 games or something like that? I don't know. It's something – it's some sort of this many home runs in this – Many first, you know, right. The boy has a bunch of them. MLB games, yeah. whatever. Him and Trevor Story, and like 
Jock Peterson all have done this one specific thing in like the last couple of years, right. which is kind of weird. Yeah, now I don't and know I if you read the sort of hitting environment that we're that the game is evolving into. I don't know if you read Dave Cameron's recent piece on Reese Hoskins. No. You didn't. Okay. The basic point is this. And because uh, I, I think that there's uh, some consequence to his observation, uh, is uh, it could we? What do we know about Reese Hoskins, and how good he's going to be? Dave Cameron says, "Well, 50 plate appearances, right?" But mm-hmm. if you look at the process, there there are two things he's already doing in the major leagues that he was doing in the minor leagues, which very few people are doing at the major leagues or are doing at the minor leagues, right? And that is um, making a lot of contact, but at the same time hitting the ball in the air a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the sort of bat path that one must assume, that one must typically employ to get the ball in the air is the exact sort of thing which would also make it difficult to make contact with some frequency, right? Good. Mm-hmm. And um, Typically, yes. Typically, yes. Typically, yes. However... Those are opposing forces in most cases. Right. If you look at the players at the major leagues who are the best at it, they it is a it is an it is an interesting and notable fraternity, including members such as these: uh, Justin Turner, Daniel Murphy, Matt Carpenter, um, maybe uh, Anthony Rendon is another one. But with the exception of Rendon, what's notable about those three guys is that uh, they were hardly prospects, and now they are among the three best hitters in the major leagues. And Hoskins is doing roughly the same thing that they do. And Hoskins was also never a top prospect. So what? Right. This, so it reveals something. until the until our updated hundred this summer. But yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, so from my perspective and just the information that I have from watching and talking to people about Reese Hoskins over the years has sort of evolved from uh, our typical concerns about below-average athletes, which Hoskins, I believe, is one, uh, who play first base, hit right-handed, throw right-handed, like that type of player in college you and I have talked about historically is just is not Right. Uh, it became pretty apparent quickly once Hoskins got into pro ball that there that he was interesting and not uh, more so than someone with his background. He was from Sacramento State, uh, and his draft position typically is. And then you know we had the year in Reading where he went. Bonkers, and of course we've seen Darren Ruff do that. Uh, is the most recent example of someone who had what did Tommy Joseph an incredible do season. Uh, Joseph was Joseph was sent from the Giants to the Phillies in a trade and didn't play a whole lot at Double A because of I think when he was traded and he also had concussion issues. Very okay, true. So I'm not nailed sure. it. You nailed it, buddy. Um how much he even played there. But, like, but yeah, like, go look at what Tag Bozied and Jim Murphy did in Reading. Um, so, like, that was a reason to be skeptical. And then you could look at the home road splits and say, oh, but there is, still is – like, this guy hits. 
Uh, and then heading into last offseason, as I was auditing the Philly system and talking to teams, I talked to some people who had seen a lot of Hoskins who hadn't really seen him do much with breaking balls. Not that he couldn't, but just that he didn't have to, that he was just someone who was hunting fastballs and, and murdering them. Uh, and then I talked to, on the optimistic end, an org who had a 70 on Hoskins' raw power and like a 50-55 on the bat and thought that he'd basically be the guy who uh, it looks like he's becoming. My own personal observations of Hoskins have been pretty limited. Uh, I saw him a little bit earlier this summer, and he walked a bunch, so I didn't really get to see a whole lot of what the bat-to-ball skills look like in person. From what I've seen of him at the big league level, uh, what you're describing with the ability to strike the baseball regularly and in a way that is also impactful in the elevated, air. Elevated, yeah, ele- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Comes from like some combination of bat control, which I think we've seen at this point. Uh, uh, the Lions' share of his early home runs have been on like letter-high fastballs. But I've also seen him go down almost beneath the strike zone to hit a changeup out and to catch a breaking ball and hit he hit that out. Um, so yeah, I think that there's he has this unique ability to to move that bad head around the hitting zone, and I think his lower half gets involved in that uh, in a way that allows him to move the bat around and also still create some leverage and, like, plane in the swing. Uh, so, like, watch the way he adjusts his lower half swing to swing based on where pitch location is. Uh, I think that there might be something to that. But, um, but yeah, it just became – it just came time when we did the summer top 100 update to just look at it and be like, like, this guy just – he's done nothing but hit. He's hit at this place – uh, or he's hit outside of the place where we thought, you know, it might be caricaturing his abilities. Um, and the scouts more and more just seem to be convinced. Let me ask you, so, so I... I think he's going to be quite good. I looked at uh, some, you know, attempted to find some players who were also exhibiting a similar combination of... or It produced, you know, metrics w- which suggested they were employing a, a similar combination of skills, right? Both elevating and also making contact. Um, I'm not going to yeah. go through the through the entire list, but I wanted to ask you about two guys in particular and your reads on them. And uh, you know, may, Maybe it's exactly um, the same sort of observations you would have made uh, in, in your, for your preseason list. Uh, the, the first of them, though, is, is Joe McCarthy in the Rays system. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's do, now he has not actually shown he's not produced the same sort of power on contact, but his process is very similar. Um, he seems to have almost precisely the same sort of positional limitations that Hoskins does, um, and if and also with regard to the process, it seems as though we've witnessed enough players now add power. You know, like. Um, begin to, to um, essentially cash in on power almost overnight that if it were to happen to Joe McCarthy, it wouldn't be that surprising. Do you know who Joe McCarthy is? Yeah, so uh, Joe McCarthy was a University of Virginia outfielder. 
uh, his brother, he and his brother were both recruited there out of northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, and McCarthy was someone who was like a high-profile draft prospect entering his junior year because he had a track record of hitting at a big school. And we've seen Virginia crank out a kid like this basically every year for the last half decade or so where there's just some uh, relatively polished corner bat uh, that is an, that is a school where uh, there is like a track man. Like Matt Thice? Matt Thice? Yeah, Matt Thice, Paven Smith. Um, Derek Fisher, I guess, I suppose wouldn't, wouldn't be the polished corner type. I mean, he is basically a left fielder for me, but he was always more of a tooled up, uh, frustrating underperformer than, uh, than like the guy that Thyssen Smith were. But, um, but yeah, so he had, he had back issues, uh, his junior year and fell in the draft as a result. But yeah, he's, he's an interesting offensive prospect. His defensive profile is very limited. Uh, and I think that the lack of power that you've brought up is a little bit of a concern. But, uh, but yeah, I, the scouts I talk to like him and generally think he's going to be some sort of big leaguer, maybe not an everyday guy, but, uh, but a platoon option in left field at first base, uh, maybe moonlighting a little bit in right field, that sort of, that yeah. sort of play. Okay. Well, again, he, he had just, uh, he met the same sort of criteria. Uh, which is why I invoked his name. And the other player is one of whom I've become rather enamored in recent weeks, in, in no small part due to the fact that he matches this, these criteria, um, but also because he's, he, comes, he has a relatively obscure pedigree, and that is Zach Short. Zach Short, who is a shortstop in the Cubs system. He was drafted, he was taken in the uh, 16th, sorry, the 17th round, of the 2016 draft out of Sacred Heart University, which is part of, I believe, the Northeastern Conference for baseball. That's in Connecticut, uh, right? Could, maybe it's that, or it's either there or New York. It's one of the two. Um, but the, the point is that... No, it is. You're right. You're right. It's in uh, Fairfield, Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, it is not a baseball factory. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, I think... Yeah. I, I mean, short's not... Short's not a guy I know a whole, whole lot about. Uh, I know he's – the stuff I've heard about Short is just like he's one of these guys who has that slow, dangling leg kick. Um, and, yeah, that I've heard that the bat path there is one that – like there's a chance he hits and hits for a little bit of power. It's just about what the physical tools allow for as far as like power on contact and stuff. But, yeah, so he's sort of someone who's – more or less been off my radar. I don't know a whole lot about him. Well, yeah, I'm not demanding. But now I will dig because of the because of the work you've done. That's right. Well, who would we do that for recently? You got are you you became a bunch of people. Yeah, you became you became more enthusiastic about a guy recently than I was. I was I, I felt as though I was I felt uh, I was leading you down a bad. But, but there's a picture in the Marlin system, like that guy, the 24 year old at high A. Who was actually mm-hmm. throwing? He was throwing decently hard. Uh, was it Meyer? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, notable with regard to Sacred Heart. Meyer, uh, Meyer. Notable alumni: Kevin Nealon and John Ratzenberger. So there you go. Something to think about there. Kevin Nealon and John Ratzenberger, known for playing Cliff 
Slavin in uh, TV's Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take Nealon. Yeah, probably. Sure. But I, why, why yeah. do you have to? Why do you have to either or me here? Huh? <laughs> Don't you want everyone to be employed, Eric Loganigan? Well, sure. Yeah, but you can. Ratzenberger's got Toy Story money. He's fine. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> uh, is so one of the other guys that you wrote about in that article is Nate Orf. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Who's I think Orf is going to be. He's a triple A. Yeah, he's been a triple A for like the for the bulk of two consecutive seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is he? I think he's a minor league free agent at the end of the year. That's something that teams are starting to. That's like teams are starting to get that stuff together to target high priority minor league free agents at the end of the year. I had. I, just had, um, I feel like. The, I feel like if any so, team would notice the fact that Nate Orf. Uh, might have a future despite the fact that he's a 27-year-old. Mm, I feel like it would be the Milwaukee Brewers at this point. And so I would expect them to go to some lengths to retain him. I assume if this season had gone according to plan for the Milwaukee Brewers and they were in fourth place in the NL Central right now as opposed to you know, to uh, just two games out of first behind a Cubs team mm-hmm. that looked – you know, like it was going to be impossible to beat. That that <clears throat> Nate Orf would already have gotten some plate appearances this season. I guess so. Didn't they just have someone go down too in the middle infield that where I, I like I checked their forty man and I was like, is Nate Orf on the forty man? But your your boy Ildemaro Vargas was a minor league free agent last off season, and I spoke with people last night who think highly of him, mm-hmm. and the Diamondbacks were able to re-sign him last year. Yeah, Yandervis Solarte was a 27-year-old or something close to that when he signed a minor league free agent. Yandervis Solarte is one of the. Uh, he's been a solid little. Yeah, like he's a 45. Yeah, he's a. Uh, uh, no, he's like the. Uh, he's one of the best case scenarios for this sort of player. Yandervis um, Solarte, he's he's one of the the go-tos. I like you, Jervis Slarday. What is he doing this year? Yeah, he's a league average hitter. He mm-hmm. play middle infield. May not be a great defender on the infield, but sufficient to stay in there and pitchers don't get upset when they see him. Do you think that's part of it? It's out. The people don't think that the pitchers don't think much of guys when they well, it's like step to the plate. That might be part of it. Well, what like if I mean, especially with catchers, is it, is it is it is it. I mean, I'm sure obviously teams are keeping metrics now, but there must be some point where like, well, I don't know. Do the pitchers like throwing to him? Then if they do, then we'll keep him around. Um. Yeah, I think that at, at an organizational level, when we're talking about guys catching bullpens, especially like in Arizona during spring training, if you're catching bullpens in the middle of the day uh, or during fall instructional league, like you want to just have guys around that are competent and can handle – adverse working conditions and like that your pitchers like to work with and stuff like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I think this is good. I think we're good. One Oh nine. That's pretty good. You feel good. You feel good about it. I feel good. Did you, um, did you do anything this weekend? Did you do anything fun? No, 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 no. I went to state. (laughs) I mean, what did I do? We drove some places because our child, uh, okay. There are only, um, I mean, there are only a couple of places where he will dependably fall asleep, 
So we went on some. I can tell you this. I can tell you this off air, Eric. Okay. Why do you want? Do you want me to ask you if you did anything interesting? I mean, I have stuff to tell you off air too, but it doesn't have to be on the podcast. Let's talk off air. It's okay if it is, but it doesn't. Let's talk off air. Okay, let's do it. Hey, Eric. Yeah. Thank you so much for appearing on Fangraphs. Fangraphs Audio. Thank you for having me. That has been led prospect analyst of Fangraphs. Uh, uh, has been led prospect analyst Eric Longenagen. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.